kia pūpuri ai te taonga tūturu mā tauranga a tunu kai Māori. Kia korera, engaro. To promote, protect and preserve Māori knowledge about food so that it will not be lost. Kia koutou katoa ko ngā kai whakarongo nau mai anō ki tēnei whakāturanga a te ahikā. Another Sunday and another Te Ahikā show on Radio New Zealand National. Just like the many who sat at Rotorua or were glued to iwi radio stations like Justine and I and the thousands tuning in from Australia, last week was all about Te Matatini. Hi. No one can deny the electrifying prowess of the country's top teams battling it out on stage. He mihi tēne ki ngā kapa katoa. A big congrats to all the groups and the winners of the biannual premier event. Well done, te wakahuia. And the next Te Matatini is heading down south. Naitahu other hosts. Now, while everyone was coming down from that Te Matatini buzz... On February 24, pioneering te rarawa and te Opori artist Ralph Hōtere died at his home in Dunedin. He was 81 years old. In Te Ahikā tonight, we have an archival recording from 1998 in which interviewer Lippi Hakaraya talks to curator of the travelling exhibition out of the Black Window, Gregory O'Brien. As part of that kōrero, a very rare recording of Ralph Hōtere. Ruia, ruia, opea, opea, tahia, tahia. Ke hemo ake ko te kākā kōkoa, ke herea mai te kāwai koroki, ke tātata mai i roto i tāna pū korokoro whai karo he kuaka, he kuaka mārangarau. Ko tahi manu i tau ki te tāhuna, tauatū, tauatū, ko tau mai. And then Mariah is with Professor Jonathan Manet-Fiorki about the impact the artist had upon him. It is, it is to this day, uh, you know, in, in conversation with people who go to art exhibitions, uh, people do tell me that they go weak at the knees at something uh, that they saw. And I do remember um, um, actually crying in front of a painting that I saw at an international exhibition in Wellington in the 1980s um, because it was so unexpected and so beautiful and so moving. And I think... Uh, um, many people have had that experience in front of Ralph's paintings. That's what's coming up in tonight's edition of Te Ahika. Te Ahika, Radio New Zealand National. Tuhui celebrity chef Joe McLeod credits his mother and his queer in teaching him Matauranga Māori when it came to Māra Kai. Gardening, the planting, preparation to the cooking. And though he's worldly in his travels, Te Whadua o Matahi, Te Haukainga, is where his heart is. It was at a suburban marae in Wellington that Justin caught up with him. We was doing what he does best, talking about kai. Part of the 20-year replanting restoration project here at the Marae is part of that kaupapa is Marakai, and I'm here with celebrity sh- chef Joe McLeod. Kia ora. Kia ora, kia ora. Here. That's what it says on your chef shirt. I'm, I'm wearing my chef jacket because right, right at the moment tonight at 7 o'clock on, um, on Māori television I have my own show. It's Joe's World on a Plate. Um, that's a weenie better part of our kaupapa here at Nauhaue Whaupapararangi, but my kaupapa here is part of a three-strand project, uh, the Marakai uh, strand. And we have our, our sister strands, um, Raranga and uh, Rongoa. So each one of those each one of those strands has its own tohuna. I'm the tohuna for the Marakai. And really my kopapa here is to revive, preserve and promote pre-European genuine Maori cuisine. And this is day two of our Marakai Noho Marai program. It's beautiful. Yeah, and it's wonderful to be able to share at last <laughs> a lot of knowledge that I've held since I was a young uh, student with my growers and queer. So can we, we'll just go back a little bit to what you said in the start. You've got your own show <laughs> you're on Māori TV. Just a, just a little snapshot into your world at the moment. Um, how did the show come about? Uh, the show, oh, that came about in a partnership with Māori Television Productions. Uh, I was with them five years ago. Uh, oh, right, five years ago. 
not with them, but oh. I went to them because they were filming a, a TV show, Kai Time on the Road. Yes. And they invited me to go up and have a look. And uh, they were keen too to to talk directly to me just to get a feel who I was, what I'd achieved, and my background really. And that sowed the seed for a program that's on air right now. And Joe, it's called Joe's World on a Plate, Kapai. So that's more of the, um, you know, I suppose the public stuff that you're doing. So behind the scenes, really, this is all about grassroots level. Yes. So talk about Marakai, um, the project. Uh, Marakai, the project uh, linked to the replanting and rejuvenation of our, of our native trees, fauna and flora. Uh, inside this area. Nahaue Fao Paparani is a Taurahere Marae situated in literally the heart of Newlands. And the benefit there too, of course, it's right next door to our capital. <laughs> <laughs> and what's Taurahere, Joe? Taurahere is a Marae, a people's Marae. It's not linked to just one iwi. This morning was a summary of what I taught yesterday based around Tikana uh, for the Marakai. The Whakapapa for the Marakai, how the Marakai project came about and the purpose of initiating the Marakai Hikwe uh, here at Nahaui Whāpapararangi. For me, the biggest benefit is the Marae is centred in the middle of its own uh, rejuvenating forest. About 300 hectares of it, or acres, one of them. There's lots of lovely trees I have access to where I can just walk out the door and I'm in nature's Tane's kitchen. And it's so rare to have Tana's kitchen right next door to a commercial or Miki Amarai kitchen. Very rare for Wellington. And Kutemea Nui too, I can talk to the trees, take my group to the tree without ripping branches off here and there to drag all the way to Marae. This is what the tree looks like. No, 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 no. I'm quite a protector too of our Rako and of our Hua Whenua and a lot of our natural plants, fauna and flora, wherever and my preference there is to talk to them directly in front of them and pay homage to our tipuna, our whakapapa, all the way back uh, to our wairuatanga side, ni, where te atua, straight up to the supreme being in Māori then, And like all whai kōrero on the whaipai, in the kitchen, in the huirane, we start from the top, work down to the bottom, eventually to us. Same application applies to our food, and I instill that inside of our students. We continually pay homage, always, always, always. Karakia fukawatea, first thing in, when, in the class. Karakia before I touch the food, another karakia when I'm preparing the food, continually um, maintaining our, my level of connection to our past, our present, and take the kaupapa through, uh, through to the future. It's almost like a ceremony. It is, yeah. Mm. And one of the things I was taught when I was uh, learning all of this craft was to pay homage. Mihi, 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 mihi. And by, maintain, by maintaining that mihi process, you will continually get high rewards. Mai te rungarawa, te piringatanga, ka takaasi ki ngā tohunatana, ki ngā porofiti, ki a tātou hoki, ngā kaiwhakahaere mō wene kaupapa. Now, to translate that for you, <laughs> is I always give thanks to my mother who taught me initially, then her mother, my nan, then her mum, nan, nan. Nice. Who, who, and we were, many occasions I was able to connect with four or five generations who were all in the same room. And it's neat. And, and to get teachings from my co-martyrs, nannies, queers, uncles, who were alive then, and I looked at them as the last holders of the true knowledge I'm a tūhoi baby. is my mountain. Tauranga is my river. And Tūapō is where my, my tipuna is buried and he's quite famous and that's Koro Uruakenana. So I'm a, I'm a descendant of his second generation. Miki and his first wife was my tipuna, Pinepine Terik, and her line was the line that carried the oath or that carried the line Te Marakai, Ni, Te Natsikana Mona Kai Māori, the realm of cooking, preparing, and Kaimanaki Tanat. 
and I'm the generation that's carrying that legacy on. Lineage that I have around my neck here, I've collected um, pins from all the countries that I've worked and visited in. And I wear it a lot, knowing that someone is bound to ask, and I share those <laughs> stories with them. Now, my television show is based around 26 countries that I visited, worked in, and lived in. And the, um, it's a story about my life in each one of those countries, learning their tikana mute marakai. Ahakwa no hea French mara, German mara, Japanese mara, learn their cultures be part of their cultures and bring that culture back here at Aotearoa and share that knowledge that I share overseas in a typical Maori way. And that's the emphasis, really, of my TV show. Right, so they're just pins that you picked up from all the countries, so you're well-travelled. Yeah, pins I picked up, pins that I was given by memberships. For example, this one here is a membership badge from the Worldwide Association of Chefs. We had a conference here in Auckland and I was able to get it directly from the chefs associations from those countries. Neat. And I go, I've been to your country. Can we swap pins? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was able to fill in uh, pins from the countries that I couldn't get pins. Because mm. like uh, a lot of us who, who are well-seasoned travellers, we try and take some heirlooms from home to, um, to koha, to Alaiwi. The food has now been cooking for two and a half hours. Bill Rawari explains the cooking process. So can you just grab what we've got in front of us, please? So there's three different gas cookers. Yeah, three gas cookers. The wariho, the veggies, the meat. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Wrapped in potato sacks. No, no. Well, No, no, no. What what they've done is um, they've got all different levels of, uh, I guess we could say we've got the bigger sticks at the bottom and then we've got different things like all the hebe plants and, and that, all the different types of them with their berries and that, and they're all built up into a layer and then we've got even like harakiki there as a mat Gee. to separate the kai from the rungoa aspect as we lay the kai on then like plants that we eat like the watercress or, or puha and stuff like that so we can take everything above the the whariki or the mat of, of uh, harakeke and we eat all the top part but what it does is the, the cooking and the boiling of it permutates it and with the steam it goes up and actually impregnates the kai with its flavor and stuff like that so yeah it just goes up right through it so it's a it's a steam steam method and we can also use other plants to give it different colors and that if we want to do as well within the cooking process so yeah so each one has a different layer um, like we'll use more of the water-based plants for the for the eco for the fish yes right and for the wild pork or bird games and that more of the heriaraco type things for those so yeah different ones and that and yeah excellent carpoy this today's one is all about steaming but there is a lot of other ways of doing it like um, smoking and so on and that too and that'll all be part of the course that's being taught up here for free at Nahuefao Paparārangi. So the kai's just been served? Yes. And yet another successful kai. Sorry, this is a great thing and privilege to be able to, to demonstrate this side, another side of what I do now, uh, to give not so much the koha back but more enlightenment on how to serve the same kai in a different way. It's a stylized um, um, system on trying to revive, to revise, sorry, and create for our whānau to raise their bar a little bit higher than what they normally do at home, at the office, on the marae, for any function. Same kai, but presented in the, host, in the hotel sort of way. And so oh, we are breaking the bank now to buying all these flash things. Just use what you have at home. Um, to, to, to give them a window of how things look in the hotel that they can do themselves at home. So it's um, alkai served in a flash way. Yeah, that's the goal. Yeah. That's the goal, you know, for want of a better description. <laughs> <laughs> and so what did you, can you explain the, is that another part of the, the tikanga of wrapping some kai? Oh, the and last book? Yes, yes. That, that's, that was a tradition that was uh, maintained for centuries. In Tuhoi? Or? Right across the motu, right across the motu. Other iwi had their own karakis for the tākoha, 
When they, they took uh, the first kumara went back to the to Whenua. The first fish went back to Temuana. The first bird you got went back to Tane. And it's the same process every hakari you had. A small percentage of your kai always been, went back to Papatua Anduku. Because so, she provided the food, you must share your kai, Kiteatsua. And those are the tradition, traditional links that have been lost, but not cut off entirely because there was a, 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 a small few who maintained that integrity, Kia Korera Inaru. A lot of traditions that were changed, that were wiped out completely because of Christianity. Uh, but they saw something we didn't because we wanted something new, we followed. And I think that happened with a lot of uh, countries as well, looking for something new or <clears throat> forced to look for something new. <laughs> <laughs> but fortunately for our people, there was still a minority group who withstood and withheld the knowledge of the past. And this is a small part of it. So, Joey, as part of your mahi, um, we'll just talk a little bit about the, the mass literature that you've brought along here to Nahauefa or Paparangi. Can we just, I mean, there's cookbooks, there's books from um, Tuhoi, Alston Best in particular. Are there a few favourites here that you have that you couldn't be without, more or less, or is this a lot? <laughs> this is only a tiny fraction oh, of my okay. books. Yeah. Um, because I, I, I trained as a professional chef, with that training comes more literature. With their training comes uh, expertise from other countries. And having studied them, I thought, oh, well, since I've learned this culture, why not go and have a look at the real tikopa? And that's what I did. Uh, but when it comes to our, our own, our own um, uh, tikana mote mahikai, our own traditional culinary cultural um, culture that we have here, it's unique. There's only one Maori cuisine. It can't be replicated anywhere else because a lot of the foods here are indicative to New Zealand. And I take great pride in that. Karema, 80,000 different species of fauna and flora in New Zealand, 32,000 we know about, 3,000 we use. So you work out the mess. Whoa, gee. Ah, so traditionally, our people held that knowledge, and they still—we still do. They, <laughs> we still do, and it's just a privilege to give back what I know of that huge knowledge base. A lot of it, Tuhoi is still a mental hold of what I'm talking about. But as a professional chef, I take great pride in forming a bridge between Tarapakeha and Tara Maori. We've posted up some pics on our webpage, head to radionz.co.nz forward slash te ahika. So just see, the kai was lovely, I take it. Oh, te rekau hoki o ngā kai. It was absolutely oh, beautiful. Watercress, puha, pickle pickle veggies and the meats, it was tender as and as Mariah said you'll see the pictures on our page you can also get in touch via Facebook whanau ma, just search Te Ahika or send us an email Te Ahika at radionz.co.nz Te Aupauri Te Rarawa artist Ralph Hotere was extremely private if you watch Merathamita's 2001 documentary, Hotere, while he is present in the frame of it, and obviously its subject, he very rarely talks. And that was something Justin came up against when she was looking through the Radio New Zealand archives. Aye, I did. So the process here is pretty straightforward. We take a look at a database, click what we want, send it off, and then the archives team get back to us. But this time around it was a little different. There are many people on record talking about Ralph Hortzeria, but hardly anything from the man himself. But luckily enough, after all that perseverance, we found an actual recording of Hortzeria. This next segment is from the programme Whenua, recorded in 1998. Host Libby Hakaraya is with Gregory O'Brien. He was, on 9 to noon on Monday, talking about his relationship with Hōtere that stretches back as far as 1998, when he curated Hōtere out of the black window. (laughs) 
this is the essential Bible, is it, to Ralph Hortity's work? Um, well, unfortunately, it is to date. I mean, um, Ralph, as you're probably aware, has actually um, been quite a sort of a, a quiet person. He's been a major presence in terms of New Zealand and particularly Maori life and culture, I would say, in the last three or four decades. But he has hidden away, if you like, down in Dunedin. So people haven't written books about him. I suspect people have probably approached him and tried to write books about him before, um, but haven't got too far because in the end I think Ralph does want to do his work. That's his sort of uh, main objective, what he you know, feels drawn to, and he doesn't like sort of mucking around with all the peripheral stuff. And mm-hmm. same with the exhibition, in fact. I mean, the exhibition out the Black Window um, is the first major hotary show perhaps for 25 years, touring show, which is a complete, you know, kind of travesty and a complete joke because a person of his stature should have been seen more of um, I think he's been ignored partly because he's been in Dunedin a bit, but I suspect partly he's sort of um, hidden out there in a studio at Kerry's Bay and probably hasn't returned people's phone calls. Um, <laughs> as as but, you say, he's the man that um, probably <clears throat> will go down in New Zealand art history as a man who would rather his aunt speak for himself other, rather than let the words come forth himself and express himself verbally. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he, he believes in presenting the work and that's it. I mean, I think with my book, you know, I've done a, um, put together the exhibition in the book and that's looking principally at his work with poetry. That isn't the whole hotary story. I mean, I think what you'll find this book will become, it's not the Bible. It might become a book of the Bible because I think there are, you know, a great many other aspects of Ralph's work which we're going to see in exhibitions and books without any doubt in the next sort of 10 or 20 years because I think even in the time I've been working on this project, I mean, hotary's stature as a painter, his status has just um, just soared, you know, it's gone sky high. Also the acknowledgement of his work internationally um, has really sort of taken off too, and you find Ralph's works appearing in very important international books yes. published by Fyden and Tebbs and Hudson. Edward Lucy Smith's new book on art today, you know, published in London and New York, has um, you know a, a wonderful Aramoana work mm. um, by Ralph in it. So mm. um, there's something going on now. I think that Ralph probably can't stop it. He's probably just got to sort of stand off to one side and the juggernaut you know, effect. Do you think? <laughs> <laughs> I think I think he's okay because he has such a strong sense of self that I think at this point he will actually be able to stand aside and keep working and keep doing what he does. And it's just the work. The work's already out there. There's a hell of a lot of hotary work that's been mm. produced. It's all over New Zealand. Quite a lot of it's overseas too. And the work, in a sense, will be the thing that sort of the, the art will be the thing that people will be looking at. They won't mm. be trying to interview Ralph because, of course, he will refuse. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, somebody that was, um, I guess, opportune to to at least grab something of Ralph's, uh, well, his voice, really, Gregory, was was the late Ross Stevens, who, in an edition, a special edition of Bookmarks on National Radio uh, last July at the opening of the Out the Black Window in Wellington, managed to get alongside uh, Ralph. Ruia, ruia, opea, opea. Tahia, tahia, ke hemo ake ko te kaka koa koa, ke herea mai te kawai koroki, ke tātata mai i roto i tāna pū korokoro whai karo he kuaka, he kuaka maranganao. Ko tahi manu i tau ki te tāhuna, tau atu, tau atu, ko tau mai. So that is in fact uh, one of one of the things written on, on a major piece <coughs> of Hotiri. Yeah, Ralph was actually um, reciting it. It's a, a poem, um, or I suppose more correctly, it's a greeting often used on Northern Marae. That particular version of it um, um, was passed on to Ralph by his father, Tangara Hotiri, who I, I sort of think, when I, as I moved into this project, I think, I think I sort of very much started to find in Ralph's personality just the sort of presence of his father, the, um, the importance of his relationship with his father, and um, and his father, of course, was um, they, he was brought up. Perhaps I should go back sure. in time a little bit mm-hmm. and tell you a little bit about where he came from. Yes, please. He was born in 1931 in Miti Miti, um, mm. so that's in North and his Alpuri Maori. He was um, born in um, Miti Miti is about I think it's about 12 kilometres up from the top, the northern side of the Hokianga Harbour. Yes. Um, he was one of um, a family of 15 children. I think there were 11 natural children and four foster children. His father, Tangara Hotari, was the um, transcriber and the, um, I suppose the principal sort of translator of the Alpuri poetry, the Waiata and all that. Mm. Um, Ralph has spoken to me about when he was a small child, that language, that sounds of words was something that he had very much imprinted upon him, um, which I think you might, have, might think might have sort of led him later in life to becoming a poet, a poet as yes. such. But um, curiously, Ralph became a painter. Um, he moved off in that direction, but then at a certain point in his life, 
um, words started to re-enter the, the, the paintings, words in Māori, and of course the words are by the poets who are featured in this exhibition, Hone Tufari, Ian Weddy, Bill Manhire, and Scylla McQueen. But I think there is a very strong sense when the words are in the paintings that they're actually part of the rhythm and part of the texture. And I believe this is very much to do with the sort of the Maori notion of language and words being part of the elements of nature. You know, um, say at a tangi, you know, the words, the cries and all that are, part, are like the wind, they're like the rain, they're part of the elements. You know, they're not human-made things, they're not things they're that They're not separated or, from... Mm, no, they're mm. sort of part of the sort of the... the, sort of the this whole sort of process that is nature, you know, an incantation is like a very deep outcrying of mm. words, you know, from almost somewhere deeper than the person who's who's letting it go, you know. So there's quite a, um, there's something going on in the chemistry of, in Ralph's chemistry, and I think in the chemistry of these paintings, which is why a lot of them I think are very, very, um, just very profound. Mm. Well, I know that Ralph uh, was good friends with Colin McCann, and in fact, uh, of the era of the 50s and the 60s, there were a group of, of artists, Māori Pākehā, that really <coughs> spent a lot of time together. And yet um, there's always been that distinction, I think, in Ralph's work that he doesn't want to be compared to a Colin McCann. In fact, you've just, in a way, answered that question by saying that it's his Māori, his Māori that has imbued him with a difference for art, but but that again, Hotere and Colin McCann. What was the connection in terms of their artwork, and how different was Ralph from, say, Colin? Um, I think that, I mean I think the works are quite profoundly different in the way they use language. Um, I think, of course, you know, when people think of Colin McCann, they tend to think of um, big biblical sort of statements, you know, huge words over a landscape like "This is a cold land," mm. you know, um, these sort of um, pronouncements. A landscape with too few lovers. Usually, they're quite judgmental, almost moralistic things. Um, Ralph was massively impressed with McCann's work. I mean, it has to be said. I mean, and he certainly did draw from him. But um, at the same time, Hotri did have a, a different approach, I think, to language. Um, he didn't, I don't think he need, needed, <coughs> excuse me, I don't think he needed that sort of prophetic voice. Ralph was wanting a, a voice that was more one with nature, that wasn't sort of passing judgment all the time. Mm. Um, so I think you don't get that feeling in Ralph. Ralph's poems are often poems about nature. They're often enigmatic poems. They're often like little magical spells, a lot of the Bill Manhire texts in particular. Um, Ralph did sort of, was aware of what McCann was doing and as a result of that I think one of the reasons Ralph in fact told me he started using stencils on his paintings, you know, he stencils letters on, was because he found a way of pre presenting language, you know, words in a work without actually doing it in a hand-brushed script, mm. which would have looked very like McCann and yes. New Zealanders probably would have thought, oh, well, here's a you know follower of McCann. So Ralph did have to sort of define his own space. Um, interestingly, I mean, Ralph's father, Tangara Hotari, provided some of the texts for McCann's famous paintings. There's a great work by McCann, The Song of the Shining Cuckoo, which across the top of the middle panel of it has, you know, um, Tangara Hotari's name on it. Mm. So um, Ralph passed this on, the Maori thing, on to, um, to Colin McCann. So I think that it was very much an exchange, and... Kind of interestingly, Ralph was telling me um, one of the last times he saw McCann, McCann gave him one of his Murawai beach drawings, these drawings of very sort of simple drawings with a sort of a crucifix sort of flying up the coast, you know, like the yes. souls of the departed heading for Cape, Cape Rianga. Rianga. Mm. Um, but anyway, no, um, Ralph got given this drawing by McCann, and along the bottom of the drawing, McCann had written, you know where you are going. And I think in a sense... I don't know, I wouldn't want to read too much into it. You could also almost say that that was a sense that I think he, um, the, the word thing, the, the, the art thing, he actually realised that Ralph, Ralph's direction was secure and, you know, and, and mm. as indeed it is. <laughs> well, you've touched on something quite interesting that um, I only found out recently, Greg, was that uh, Ralph is, is, is religious. He has a religious base, if you like. And did that come from his upbringing up, up in Mitimiti, up north? Oh, when you say he's religious, I don't, I, no, I don't think I would say he's a religious. He's not religious. I, mean, I think he's more kind of spiritual, spirituality. Spiritual. I mean, um, I mean, he was brought up a Catholic. They were, a, 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 you know, sort of a Catholic tribe. Um, I believe they were sort of um, the um, the Catholic presence in that area of Northland was mainly French, and mm. I think I believe actually the priest in their village might have been Austrian or something. It was actually a European Catholic presence, so it wasn't like the Irish thing. And accordingly, I think you could say it was probably a little bit more. Um, little bit less sort of um, dogmatic. It might have been a little bit more closer maybe to traditional Maori values. Probably it's a more communal thing. Um, 
so I think, um, I mean, Ralph was brought up a Catholic, and in, in terms of his art, he uses a lot of that sort of um, Im- sort of the symbolism and the imagery, and often that, that sort of merges together with, um, um, you know, the Catholic Maori thing actually does merge quite seamlessly. He did a whole lot of paintings um, when Pope John Paul I died, and um, I think that's 1978, mm. um, and he used bits of um, sort of Latin language and inscriptions um, you know, the Pope is dead, and also lots of Maori sort of poems of mourning too, mixing all those things in together because I think he believes that's his identity, in, in fact. And also probably he thinks it's probably life is about reconciling these different things and having them coexist. Um, just as I think as a painter, you know, you could source a lot of his art, either I think in his early Maori upbringing, because actually a lot of the big banners look very much like the tukutuku panel, panels in meeting houses. Yes. I mean, you can look at these pieces of art and see their origins in a kind of Maori culture quite easily. But at the same time, I think you have to acknowledge that he did actually go to and lived in England and Europe for five years in the early 1960s. So you actually have got to see that, well, actually at the same time he was going to the Tate Gallery and, um, you know, looking at paintings by Jasper Johns and he was actually part of a, um, you know, an art scene over there. I tried to approach Ralph for a number of weeks or months even perhaps, but... Um, because I, I said I'd do the project for the City Gallery and for the Publishers Godwood as long as Ralph gave it his blessing because I didn't want to um, do this sort of thing without that. I mean, I could conceivably have gone ahead and put the show together quite easily, but I just thought if I was going to do it, um, I'd sort of want to know that the artist sort of approved of me. You know, it wasn't thought I was the wrong person or whatever. Um, but anyway, I didn't hear anything back from him. And it actually had got to the point where I was almost about to give up when um, <laughs> suddenly one morning... Um, a fax came through our fax machine, and um, it was from Ralph, and he said, you know, you know, yeah, you know, if there's anything I can do, you know, let me know, sort of thing. And then actually about a week later, Rodney Kirksmith, the art dealer in Auckland, did in fact die, and mm-hmm. I came up to Auckland for his funeral, and Ralph had flown up from Dunedin for that. Mm-hmm. So we sort of met at the funeral, and he said, sort of, come on down to Port Chalmers. So I got on the plane a couple of weeks later, and then um, basically um, it just went from there. I mean... Um, Ralph kept his hands off the project entirely. I mean, he certainly corrected things in the book that were slightly inaccurate in terms of dates and all that. But in the end, he gave me complete freedom, as is his want. You know, he's not the kind of person that... Um, he's not a control never... freak. Well, he's <laughs> so... probably a control freak in terms of when, <laughs> he's, when he's making mm, his mm, work. Mm. And that's where the energy goes. That's where, you know, his sort of being is focused. Mm. So me doing this book, it was a little bit like I was sort of just someone sort of sitting out there on the veranda with a typewriter, slightly outside of his life and um you know so it should be um at the same time he helped me find paintings you know i had to there were certain works that i knew they were down there somewhere and he gave me people to ring you know so i was able to track paintings that i wanted to put in the show um and so that's probably yeah and then um you know i spent about a year working on the show perhaps a little bit more until it opened in um wellington as i said before i mean the book is certainly one aspect of ralph's i think it's a very important aspect because I, mean, I think his relationship with the poets, with Hone and everybody mm. is something that is at the, the sort of the, you know, the centre of what he does. It's a, um, it's a kind of paradoxical thing. These works are quite communal. They're about his relationships with other people. But at the same time, you know, Ralph's art is probably very famous for being very austere and very refined and often almost silent. Well, you say this um, towards the end uh, as a sort of an after, well, not an afterthought, but a, an afterword. Throughout his career, Hotari has painted requiems, uh, producing elegies for individuals, tribes, for humanity as a whole and for the environment. How difficult was it in that one sentence to to really reflect, in fact, uh, what this man has uh, achieved, I guess, and, and through his work, because really that is a good summation of uh, of so much of his work. Yeah, there's a real core there, I believe. There, there is a sort of a core, I think, in, in the work, which is about human suffering, which mm. is about... Um, well, about his the Sango things... series, for example, his brother's death had a huge impact on... On Ralph. Yeah, exactly. So, his, mm. his brother was in the Maori Battalion and mm. died in, I think it was 1943, in Italy. Um, I think as a person, he's had to deal with these emotional situations. I mean, and the works, because they're so close to his being, come to reflect that. So I guess Ralph, you know, would have probably been 12 years old, you know, and living in Mitty Mitty with his family and finding out that his, you know, much-loved oldest brother, Jack, you know, was killed, you know. Um, mm. He lived through that and... Um, um, you know, his whole life is a record of, um, you know, the sort of the, um, I suppose, the kind of the tragedies or the deaths, which are part of life. I mean, life is, you know, death is part of life and has to be sort of balanced up and acknowledged as such. Um, so I mean, in the exhibition, you also get works that are about the death of his mother, 
Anna Maria, and I think that was 1972, and then his father, Tangarau, died in 1982. And, um, you know, Ralph's paintings have sort of, you, that's become their material, you know, probably inadvertently, because I think his, his journey as a person and his journey as an artist are the same journey. You know, he's not sort of painting with one part of his brain and living his life elsewhere. Mm. With him, it's a very, very sort of holistic thing. Um, he wants to address issues that are common to all people. Also, I mean, I mean, there are lots of Maori issues, you know, at the core of the work too. But also beyond that, I mean, with all the requiem paintings, you know, I mentioned, yeah, he's painted requiems for the environment. I mean, he's done a lot of paintings about Muraroa. Mm. He's done paintings about Aramoana mm. at a time when it looked like that whole landscape the was going to be wrecked mm. with an aluminium smelter. Yes. So he's actually um, addressing things that are happening in the world. You know, he's addressing things that are happening in his own soul, in his own sort of house, you know, in his own sort of immediate environment in our country, but also in the world beyond that. Mm. I was struck... Um Gregory, when I this was the first time I'd seen this out the black window, although I did try to get to Wellington to see it when it opened there, but when I saw it um, in Auckland at the opening last week, I was really struck by the, 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 the incredible power that his paintings have for this darkness and everything we've spoken about. Uh, fortunately, a lot of the people that I've spoken to have, always, have also been struck by that, that power. So I guess the question I... I that I'd like to ask is, is Hōtere regarded worldwide as a powerful Māori painter, essentially? I think um, in terms of the worldwide thing, I mean, that's something that's that's coming through now. Just like I think, you know, 20 years ago, Colin McCann wasn't mm. known outside New Zealand. Then sort of certain little wheels started to turn, and now you have McCann being, you know, very... You know, very well known in Australia. In fact, just about every you know Australian art critic worth his salt now thinks that McCann is the most significant painter from this part of the world, including Australia. You know, to date, mm. um, um, Ralph's work I think is becoming more visible now. This show is important because it makes a big body of his work visible. And a lot of these paintings have never left Dunedin before, and never left his house before, mm. never left the South Island before. Mm. Um, so I think people are going to need to see the work to get that, as indeed you know you saw it in Auckland here, and and you feel the work, you come into the presence of them. That's something that you know reproductions in books won't give you, or you know magazines or catalogues. It is about the physical presence of these things. It's like standing in a particular landscape. You know, a postcard will not do, or standing in a, you know, on a marae or in a particular mm. building, in a particular piece of architecture. Yes. You actually have to physically enter the place and see them. Ralph's status, as I mentioned before, is actually um, very ascendant at the moment. That's good because that means public galleries will be putting the work up, it will be being seen, and it will grow from there. And uh, certainly internationally, I can, you can see it happening now. I mean, the work is quite accessible to overseas people because it is actually very well-versed in the whole tradition of modernism. You know, there are very strong affiliations with, between Ralph and artists like the late American painter Ed Reinhardt. Mm. Um, you know, things you could draw in with Jasper Johns. Um, his drawings are kind of like some of Picasso's drawings. You know, there's kind of... The language that he uses as an artist is an international one, and it's one that people overseas will recognise. At a certain point, I guess, they'll be looking at the work and they'll start wondering about the Maori language on them. Um, and that's interesting because then they'll start having to negotiate a kind of an understanding of, you know, the fact that Ralph's Maori, he lives in, you know, New Zealand, Aotearoa, um, you know, and so their internationalist sort of take on him will be qualified by that. Um, actually, a beautiful painting from the show has actually just been on the cover of a magazine in England, um, the Sangro painting that has the, um, the um, you know, the kuaka poem, the same one that's on the mural, that actually was reproduced in full colour on um, the PN Review, the sort of literary journal in um, London about about a two months ago. It looked fantastic there. But you had all this Maori language, you know, on the on the front of a, um, an English, you know, very much, you know, kind of a very, you know, sort of um, esteemed English literary <laughs> journal. So I guess all the kind of all the dons at Oxford will be scratching their heads going, yeah. You know, mm. better better get a look at that mm. that language. Well, there are there are Māori at Oxford as well, so they may be uh, able to ask uh, ask them, Gregory. Kia ora, a 1998 recording of Libby Hakuraya interviewing Gregory O'Brien, who was at the time the curator of the exhibition Hōtere Out of the Black Window.
I'm now joined by Professor Jonathan Manefioki, who's joined me from the Dunedin Airport after attending the Requiem Mass for Ralph Hawthede this morning and earlier this afternoon. Now, Jonathan, what legacy do you think Ralph Hawthede leaves for Aotearoa and, and the world? Well, I think that uh, with his death, he has now entered the ranks of the immortals. And it's been clear for actually a very long time that he was one of our greatest uh, artists. Uh, This was uh, certainly uh, something that could be um, seen in the two big exhibitions that were devoted to his work, Out the the Black Window, uh, which was at the uh, City Gallery in Wellington, and then Black Light, uh, which was um, uh, curated between Te Papa and the Dunedin Public Art Gallery in the year 2000. There were two splendid publications that go with that, but both of those exhibitions uh, showed really the depth as well as the uh, breadth of uh, Hotori's uh, artistic intelligence. So why was he revered so much? Um, I think he was revered because uh, a lot of people who had been looking at his work for a very long time, eventually got what he was on about. Uh, he never explained the works themselves, uh, uh, himself, and um, uh, that was a deliberate uh, uh, strategy uh, on his part. He felt that uh, the works should speak for themselves, but he also felt that it was the viewer, uh, it, was the, it was the art lover who really... Uh, brought their own uh, life and their own life experience to looking at the paintings and that they somehow completed the contract between the viewer and the painter. So I can remember in the late 1960s and early early 1970s, maybe even the early 1980s, when people would look at his work and were completely baffled by it because it was so uh, extremely uh, simple, uh, much of it. But by looking at the work, by becoming familiar with it, uh, the incomprehension on the part of a lot of people uh, gradually uh, wore down to the point uh, where people came to love the paintings and uh, and with loving the paintings, they came to revere the artist. Because if you compare him to Colin McCann, who perhaps wasn't treated as well, you know, like this afternoon I was having a conversation with a friend and I said, you know, at least and this may sound naive, at least Hōtere got to experience the, not so much the accolades, but the, well, the accolades while he was alive. Yes. And then you see someone like Colin McCann who really seemed to suffer and always be, you know, he he didn't. Uh, Well, um, they're they're often uh, mentioned in the same breath, but they're two quite different uh, artists. And uh, certainly... Uh, there's a religiosity about both of them. But in in Ralph's work, it's understated, really. You know, he he, uh, was brought up in the little Catholic hamlet of Mitimiti uh, in in the northern Hokianga. And uh, that Catholic sensibility is is there as a kind of atmosphere, really, uh, in painting right uh, uh, through his uh, life. Whereas uh, in Makan, there was more preaching, uh, it came from a more Protestant kind of background, even though McCann was attracted to the mysticism uh, of Roman Catholicism. But it was, but Roman Catholicism was not his heritage. It was Ralph's. And why do you think it was so important for Ralph Hortere that he wasn't just seen as a Māori artist? I mean, the thing is, he was a Māori artist. Well, he was, and I... Uh, I just in the last couple of days, I've been going back over old reviews, and... Uh, I think the first review was uh, in 1952 in Dunedin uh, when Ralph and, uh, and another artist uh, showed here and, uh, and uh, sold their work. And he was referred to as a Māori artist. And uh, right into the uh, early 1960s, uh, he's referred to as a Māori artist. When he exhibited in England, he was referred to as a Māori artist. And there must have been some point, there may have even been a moment that was a catalyst for him when he decided, look, I want to be judged as an artist first, and uh, so he did make uh, one of one of his rare statements to the effect that uh, 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 he's an artist who happens to be Māori. Uh, the fact that he's uh, Māori is coincidental to his uh, work, and um, 
so from that point, uh, there was a certain kind of ambivalence about being identified uh, with the Māori art world, although, you know, from time to time, uh, he was included in, in group exhibitions of contemporary Māori art, but he didn't want to be pigeonholed. He didn't want to be ghettoised uh, at all, and I doubt that he wanted to be contained. I can imagine that it could be quite a lonely existence. There's one thing I know about Māori, we love being with everybody else. <laughs> uh, we do, yes, and, and of course, uh, you know, if um, we're all about uh, family Aye. and and uh, and uh, our tūranga waiwai, then of course Ralph's removal to Dunedin in the late 1960s, where he remained pretty much for the rest of his life, uh, he could hardly be further away from... Uh, Mitsu Mitsu, you know, in, ..in New Zealand. Um, but again, I think that was deliberate. I, I also think that he found the Dunedin cultural and social climate uh, very uh, congenial, and he made a huge number of friends here and, um, you know, became a national figure, even though he was producing his work in Dunedin. And I don't mean to sound at all patronising about Dunedin at all, but uh, for most of the time that he was working here, um, Auckland had long since become the principal art market in New Zealand. Now, I'm sure, no doubt, you've heard stories about his generosity. I've heard stories about how he would scribble on something and then give that away to someone and that it's almost impossible to catalogue his works. Well, he was a hugely prolific uh, artist, and that's true. And, uh, you know, a number of, a number of uh, works uh, that actually uh, in public collections are, are inscribed uh, or have some reference uh, to uh, friends. Um, but he was um, um, a gregarious uh, person, um, uh, famous really for his hospitality too. He was a bon vivant, mm-hmm. you know, a great, a great uh, liver really, mm-hmm. a lover of life. So tell me, Jonathan, what was the first Ralph Horthetter piece you ever saw and what emotional effect did it have upon you? Well, I was a student uh, in Christchurch, actually, in the late 1960s, and um, it must have been about 1968 that I became aware of these very severely minimalist um, abstractions um, uh, being exhibited uh, in national art competitions. Uh, the Hayes uh, Art Competition, for example, the uh, Benson and Hedges uh, Competition, I think it was. Um, but also he became a stalwart of the group show uh, which was a uh, uh, an annual exhibition uh, put on by uh, Canterbury contemporary uh, artists. It was founded, I think, in the 1920s, and I think the last group exhibition was 1977. And from about 1967, 68, he showed uh, in pretty well every annual group show until its uh, de- demise in 1977. So I would have seen um, the uh, paintings that were totally black, uh, but with um, very, very thin uh, crosses on them, uh, red crosses. And I remember that one of those paintings was actually the cover of of an arts uh, journal that was being published at that time called Ascent. And to this day, you know, it's a very striking um, image on a typographically uh, very advanced um, um, cover uh, page for that uh, journal. And uh, I remember an article in that journal, too, talking about Ralph's very severe uh, abstractions. And uh, so there were those ones. Then there were the ones that were consisted of very, very thin um, uh, lines, uh, vertical uh, lines, and um, uh, that, that uh, fell down the canvas um, um, pretty much like um, rain. And uh, also uh, paintings that consisted of concentric circles of very, very thin uh, lines. And they were vibrant. They were, they were radiant, uh, even though their pictorial means uh, were so, ve- so severely uh, restricted. I, th- I thought, I remember thinking at the time that they were an absolute knockout because uh, at, at that stage we had, you know, all fine art students, of which I was one, had been well and truly indoctrinated into um, hard-edged geometrical abstractions. So there was Ralph... There was Don Peebles and there was Milan Mirkovic uh, working in, and Gordon Walters also working in very uh, similar uh, visual territory, although, of course, very individualistic and very distinctive to each of them.
So this is a million dollar question. I mean, is it possible to see, to go to an exhibition and then just to see somebody's work and it's leagues ahead of everybody else? Um, it is. It is to this day, uh, you know, in, in conversation with people who go to art exhibitions, uh, people do tell me that they go weak at the knees at something uh, that they saw. And I do remember um, um, actually crying in front of a painting that I saw at an international exhibition in Wellington in the 1980s um, because it was so unexpected and so beautiful and so moving. And I think uh, um, many people have had that experience in front of Ralph's paintings. Now, is there anything else that you would like to say about him, Jonathan? Um, only that... Uh, you know that the, the legacy is um, extraordinary, and I think that uh, people will be digesting his paintings and enjoying his paintings for many years to come. Um, of course, there's a very strong political commitment uh, in many of his paintings, and um, uh, they—you uh, might think that uh, the Polaris Basal uh, crisis of the early 1960s and the uh, 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 Cuban crisis of the early 1960s. Uh, that possibly these have faded into history and are completely meaningless, you know, to the uh, art students and the uh, art lovers of uh, of this uh, generation. Um, be that as it may, the pictorial uh, elements of Ralph's paintings uh, and the sheer uh, beauty of them, I think, uh, will always engage people and, and uh, people will always respond to the, both the strength and the delicacy and the sheer beauty, the, the, the lusciousness, uh, the, the sensuality uh, of his paintings. He was, uh, by any measure, a great painter, great painter. Kia ora, Jonathan Mane Fioki no Ngapuhi, Teopodi Ngatikuri, talking about the impact Ralph Hortiri had upon the art world, both nationally and internationally. Moi mai rā i te rangatira a Ralph Hōtere. Moi mai rā, moi mai rā. After a requiem mass on Thursday in Dunedin, he was returned to Matimati. Ko tēnei te ahikā, on Radio New Zealand National, I'm Maraia Rakraku. And I'm Justine Murray. A nei rā, a chef, Joe McLeod, a nō with this week's Whakatauki. Ko te whakatau ki oki mō tērā, kia pupuriai te tauna tūturu mā taurana tūnukai Māori, kia korerai e naro, mai kaupapa i to preserve, promote, protect pre-European genuine Māori cuisine. Ka nui taku mihi kia koe, mwe wera ka te whakarono i taku kōrero kia koutou, tēnā roa te koutou, tēnā koutou, kia raroa te tata katoa. Next week, the Auckland Arts Festival has a pretty healthy menu of Māoriness. What's up with that? I'll be looking at what's in store. And tonight, Māori jeweller Nikki Moore heads to Munich as part of the project Handshake Jewellery, where a dozen jewellers team up with a mentor. And she's the only Māori. Next week on the show, I have a chat to her. He mihi tēnei ki nga kai kōrero i tēnei wiki. Atu i tērā ki nga kai hanga kōrero i runga i nga rorohiko nga mihi. Hoki mai hei tērā rā tapu mai te whanua te ahi ka kia tātou katoa. Mauri ora!